Wake up, America. It's Morning Air with John Morales. Si, senor. Sarah Tafoya. Mama. That's right. This is my mom. And Glenn Leverins. That's how I know. This is Morning Air. On Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. It's Friday, December 15th. Good morning and welcome back to another edition of Morning Air. I'm John Morales. Glenn Leverins is off today. Our thanks to Neil Robbins filling in for Glenn. Our studio producer, Sarah Tafoya, is with us. And thank you for being with us here this morning. It is a blessing. And a joy uh, to be with you, uh, especially all you early birds listening to us on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app with just 10 days until Christmas. Can you believe it? Uh, Advent has just been flying by. So let me ask you a question. Are you in the Christmas spirit yet? I hope you are. But uh, if you're not, get into the Christmas spirit with Advent carols of comfort and joy from Relevant Radio, featuring the incredible talents of three young choirs. Take uh, a musical journey to Christmas and even travel through a brief history of carols with our free daily videos. Get all these beautiful, joyful carols every day of what's left of Advent. And you can do it this morning. You can sign up at relevantradio.com slash carols. That's relevantradio.com slash carols. And also a a quick reminder, if you go to the Relevant Radio app or the relevantradio.com website, you will also find hours and hours of beautiful carols and hymns, real Christmas music, secular and traditional. You don't need to go to all the FM stations. You can get everything you need to get you ready for Christmas right here at Relevant Radio. Look for the Christmas in song banner available now on the Relevant Radio app and at relevantradio.com. Want to bring in uh, Sarah. Hey, Sarah, are you uh, ready for Christmas? Can you believe it? Uh, only 10 days left. I, I see you have uh, your uh, Christmas sweatshirt on, uh, very festive looking. Well, you know what? You only have a, a short period of time where you can actually wear these things. So, yeah, when I have the opportunity, I, I'm putting on the Christmas sweatshirt because you can only wear it for December and then part of January as we're still in the Christmas season. Let's not forget, you can still wear it then. And, uh, you know, if you like Christmas in July. You can always wear it in July, but it's a little bit harder to do that uh, when it's so hot. I'm saving my... Christmas attire for tonight's big relevant radio Christmas party. Mm, good. So you're going to wear your ugly sweater. Well, I think you're supposed to be a little <laughs> bit more dressed up, but hey, maybe they'll let you slide. Hey, uh, I wanted to chat briefly this morning uh, uh, about uh, some wonderful ideas that Father Rocky had uh, that uh, were available to all of our relevant radio family during the November uh, Join the Family Pledge Drive. And, uh, Father Rocky did such a great job. And, uh, you know, not everybody donates to the to the pledge drive. So there's a lot of folks on the outside looking in who never actually heard some of Father Rocky's suggestions, but he has all these great ideas on how to have a wonderful Christmas. Uh, in fact, he says how to prepare uh, for the coming of Christ and have the best Christmas ever. So uh, we wanted to go through a few of those ideas, uh, Sarah. Oh, we sure did. And you know what? That was available to everyone who made an online or gift on the app. So even if you did make a gift and you did it over the phone, you might not have uh, gotten it as well. So this is a good review. We're going to play a little bit of uh, of Father Rocky with his first suggestion. Make a good and complete confession. You don't have to go face to face. The priest doesn't have to know who you are. You can go behind a screen. 
But you do want to ask the Holy Spirit for that grace to tell all your sins, even if they're embarrassing, right? Ask God for the grace to make a good confession, maybe even a general confession, because there's nothing better in the world than to be in the state of grace. And when we go to confession, we want to remember the three C's. It should be clear, complete, and concise. Yeah, and the good thing about that is good advice for all year round, but I think around Christmas, you know, we hear a lot of messages in the, you know, commercials and stuff. You're supposed to treat yourself, buy yourself, this or that. One great way to treat yourself is to unload all of that baggage you've been carrying around. And as time gets busy, it can be, you know, more than a week or a month or two months or six months. And so we've done that. So it's a good idea to try to prioritize that sometime. And around this time is perfect time because you want to get ready. You want to be dressed your best and look your best and feel your best for that Christmas day. You want to have a nice, clean soul for baby Jesus. And, you know, a quick reminder, if you're planning on going to confession, make sure you get there early so you don't get stuck in long lines uh, as uh, this reporter did (laughs) on a Saturday afternoon. So uh, it's a a beautiful thing. And this morning, as I was cleaning up my glasses, it occurred to me, this is what confession is. You know, the smudges on the glass you can't see as clearly well, that's what we do with our souls when we go to confession. You come out nice and clean. Sort of like when you come out of the shower after you've played baseball and you're all sweaty and grimy, you come out and you feel like a million dollars. I was thinking about the the back windows in my, of my fan van with uh, all of the smudges and uh, smears and all the gross things that get on there. Yeah, it's nice to get the Windex out and clean that up. You feel so good afterwards. That is a that is a, a great way also to, to look at it. Father Rocky had some other uh, wonderful suggestions uh, make a novena to the Immaculate Conception. Uh, we did make it as a family uh, to one of the novenas here at St. Mary the Angels uh, in, in Chicago. It was absolutely beautiful, and it gets our hearts uh, ready uh, for Christmas. Uh, I've been doing the St. Andrew Novena, and that's a real challenge to remember to do that prayer 15 times a day. Um, it's 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 not easy. you, you got to really be dedicated, but so far, so good. I'm hanging in there, Sarah. Well, very good, and he's got lots of other great tips, including going to see uh, Jesus in the Blessed sacrament every day if you're able to just once a week whenever you're able to drop in just five minutes here or there and getting a Christmas tree of course this is something many of us already have as part of our tradition but hey that tradition helps build up the season and prepare the, the ourselves for Christmas for sure real or artificial it really doesn't matter and then a nativity scene one of his other suggestions you can have one inside outside we talked about it yesterday on this 800th anniversary of uh, the first nativity scene of, of St. Francis I know I'm super excited about my nativity scene, the one outside. It's a relevant radio one. We're all, you know, waiting for the moment to put baby Jesus uh, into the nativity scene on uh, Christmas Eve. In fact, our neighbor, this little girl, asked her mother, where's baby Jesus? <laughs> well, it's good. She's noticing these things. Absolutely. And, and it's, exactly it's important that, you know, kids do. are very observant. They notice these things. And when you see it everywhere else, it's when it's absent, that does definitely stand out. So, hey, uh, kudos to you. And I'm glad you didn't have any uh, live animals in that uh, nativity scene because, you know, it's hard to keep them uh, chained and fed no, and no clean up the poop animals, and everything. But so. it's funny. Blaze yesterday was sniffing uh, the uh, the manger because okay. it used to be a coffee, uh, I mean, a chocolate uh, crate. And so he, he went over there and and took a sniff, but no, no, no live animals. Okay, one occasional live animal. That's good. That's go. good. All right, Sarah, as always, uh, thanks so much. Uh, first things first, we always uh, begin every single morning, always in prayer, always giving thanks to our Lord for
for all the many blessings, and we pray through the intercession of the Mother of God, our Blessed Mother Mary. We continue to pray for peace in the Middle East and in Ukraine. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Our Lady of Guadalupe, patroness of the Americas, patroness of the unborn and of relevant radio, pray for us. St. Joseph, patron of the Universal Church, pray for us. St. John Paul II, co-patron of relevant radio, pray for us. And we always invoke the Holy Spirit when we pray, come Holy Spirit, come. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our power scripture from the Playbook of Life is from John 14, 6. Jesus the Lord says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. There's only one name, only one way to be saved. Go to the Father and have Christmas. That is our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is the only way to Christmas Day. This is really what it's all about, Christ's Mass. Jesus is the reason for the season. Let's make room for Jesus in our hearts the rest of this Advent. And we always pray with great confidence from the Chaplet of Divine Mercy. Jesus, I trust in you. Now this coming Sunday is the third Sunday of Advent, traditionally known as Gaudete Sunday, the Latin word for rejoice. Back in 2020, during the pandemic, just before Gaudete Sunday, Pope Francis said that Christian joy is not easy, but with Jesus, it is possible. The Holy Father also encouraged Catholics to reflect on whether they live their faith joyfully and whether they convey the joy of being a Christian to others. Why does does the church emphasize rejoicing during the third week of Advent? Joining us live this morning from New Jersey is longtime Morning Air contributor Gary Zimmick for much more on a Gaudete Sunday, that is rejoice. Is it possible to rejoice even if you're suffering? Gary Zimmick is the author of his new book, When Your Days Are Dark, God is Still Good. He speaks frequently at parishes and conferences all across the U.S. You can sign up for Gary's daily email reflections and see his speaking schedule or arrange to bring him to your parish for a Give Up Worry for Lent parish mission or a talk by visiting his website, followingthetruth.com. Good morning, Brother Gary. Thank you so much for joining us. It is a blessing to be with you once again as the countdown has begun with only 10 days left to Christmas. Uh, John, it is a blessing for me to be with you, brother. Thank you so much for having me. And yeah, can you believe it? We're headed toward Christmas. And uh, obviously, the church is calling us to rejoice because the Lord is near. Well, I'm looking forward to wearing uh, my pink tie that I never wear this weekend. <laughs> Actually, I've got it ready to go for tonight's party, a Christmas relevant radio Christmas party as well. So let's let's begin with this Gaudete Sunday's Mass, the entrance antiphon. Rejoice in the Lord always again, I say rejoice. Indeed, the Lord is near. Uh, powerful, beautiful words, inspirational words uh, from Philippians 4.4 uh, 4, uh, from St. Paul. Uh, John, I love that because Paul reminds us that sometimes we don't feel like rejoicing. I'll tell you, personally, there are days when I absolutely don't feel like rejoicing. I might have problems. I might be tired. It might be too cold out. 
I don't feel like rejoicing. Paul gives us the reason why we should be able to rejoice, why we should choose to rejoice at all times, because the Lord is near. He is with us. He came into our world, and and especially during Advent, I think this is especially important for us, as we have been preparing, as we've been trying to clean up the clutter, the junk that crowds the Lord out of our lives, and we all have it, day by day, we prepare this this upcoming weekend for the third Sunday of Advent, we get to pause for a minute and we say, wait a minute, the Lord is there. If I've been preparing, if I've been making room for Jesus, he's not going to turn me down. He is going to come more deeply into my life. So for that reason, I can rejoice because things are going to get better when Jesus is more involved in my life. There's no 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 question about it, and, and in fact, um, Saint Paul uh, writes uh, about uh, uh, rejoicing always in First Thessalonians five sixteen. Uh, Paul giving us some encouragement. What about uh, folks who are going through a really tough time through through suffering? Is it possible, realistically speaking, to be able to rejoice even even when you're going through that tough time? You know, John, it is, and the reason is because the Lord is with us. He, he's not, this, that is one thing that does not change in life. When I wake up in the morning and I'm dealing with suffering and problems and all kinds of difficulties and challenges in life, circumstances may vary. Things may change. Things may go up. I might have good days. I might have bad days. But one thing is always constant, and that's the Lord's presence and his desire to help me to deal with all those changing circumstances that are driving me crazy. And the thing about rejoicing is, and Paul makes this clear to us, that we can choose to rejoice no matter how we feel. It's not a feeling. And a lot of times we think it's a feeling. I'm rejoicing because things are going good for me. No, I am called to rejoice because God is with me, not because I have favorable and pleasant circumstances in my life. That is a lesson that I've been learning for a long time now. I have not mastered it, brother, but I am working on it. And I'm starting to see that when I believe this, when I choose to rejoice, when I recognize the Lord's with me, he came into our world to walk with me day by day, to lead me back to the Father, to lead me home to heaven. When I start realizing that, then I start to, re- I start to want to choose to rejoice and say, yeah, thank you, Lord, because I am not alone and you can help me. And um, St. Paul uh, talks about rejoicing in a number of uh, his uh, letters. Uh, obviously, we, we mentioned, uh, you know, First Thessalonians. He talks about it in, in Philippians as well as Second Corinthians. Mm-hmm. He's someone who knew firsthand about suffering, so he really knows what he's talking about when he says, even, even when you're suffering, you can still rejoice. Exactly, and that's why he tells us, and we're going to hear this in the second reading from this Sunday's Mass, rejoice always. Always? Yes. And the beautiful thing about St. Paul, and this is what I love about his message, is in some of his letters, Philippians, his letter to the Philippians especially, he was in captivity when he wrote that. This guy is able to rejoice when he is under house arrest, chained to a Roman guard 24 hours a day. He's telling me to rejoice. Well, when I hear that, brother, I realize that this guy knows something that I don't, and I want to listen to him. If he can rejoice, under those circumstances, then I can rejoice in whatever I am going through. And what Paul knows, obviously, John, is the fact that the Lord is with him and he's with us. 
once we master that, once we begin to acknowledge that, and again, we don't always have to feel the Lord's presence. This is where faith comes in. We know it through faith that the Lord is with us. Once we master that, or once we believe that, then we absolutely have a reason to rejoice and we can choose to do so. Gary, I have a holy card that I've held on to all these years uh, with our Lord in the agony in the garden that I got uh, way back in the early days of Relevant Radio, and it has a quote from 2 Corinthians 12, 9. Uh, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. And uh, Paul goes on to talk about, for the sake of Christ, then I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. And I, that really speaks to my heart. Uh, no matter how tough the situation is, you can still have a smile on your face. You can still rejoice. Exactly. And, and I think, John, the secret is, and I'm glad you mentioned that because that's one of the, my favorite uh, uh, Bible passages as well, is the idea that when I recognize that I can't deal with the problems that I face each day, when I recognize that I'm a weak person, when, I'm, when I recognize that life is a burden for me, when I recognize that, then I'm called to turn to the one who is above all these problems. When, then, I, then I remember that, oh, I can't do this myself, but I have somebody who wants to help me. Lord, please help me. And that's where I find my strength. When I realize that I can't do it, that I am not self-sufficient, that I need the Lord and that he loves me and wants to help me. Then all of a sudden things get better. And I realize, yeah, if he's, if he's allowing me to go through this, he's going to get me through it and he's going to help me. Uh, Gary, what's the biggest misunderstanding about rejoicing? I, I really think that it's, it's, uh, we, we sometimes think that we can only rejoice if things are going well, that it is based on external circumstances. And as Paul teaches us in our church, and our church teaches us, it's not. We rejoice because of the Lord's presence. We, re we rejoice because he is with us, he loves us, and he is bigger than any problem I could ever face. And therefore, we can rejoice always because that's never going to change. And John, I, I need that. That is such a comforting thought to me. Absolutely. You talk about uh, choice. We all have that choice. We can uh, choice. Uh, we can choose to, to be happy, or we can uh, choose uh, to be uh, to be sad. Um, what about uh, the church, uh, Holy Mother Church? Why, do, why does she emphasize rejoicing specifically during the third week of Advent this coming Sunday? You know, I, I really think it's because so many of us could be getting burned out now. If we're we're either taking Advent seriously, we're trying to do our work, we're trying to really prepare for the Lord, we're trying to clean up, make room for Him, because He's coming. We could be starting to get a little burned out right now. And when you look at what's going on in the world as well, the craziness, the busyness, the hectic pace is picking up. We've got to get ready for Christmas. We have to buy our gifts. We have to go to parties. We have to do this. We have to do that a lot of distractions can really make us lose our focus. And our focus needs to be on the fact that he's coming. He's coming. He wants to come more deeply into my life. And if I'm doing the work, if I'm trying to make room for him, he's not going to say no. He is going to show up. And, and I think if I keep my focus on that, that's going to keep me going. And I think that's what the church wants us to remember. And, you know, okay, just pause for a minute and realize that, Jesus is coming. It's time to get excited. Uh, 
I'm excited. I'm, uh, I, I can't wait. Uh, Ten days to go till Christmas Day. Thank you so much, uh, Brother Gary. As always, always appreciate uh, your inspirational words uh, and encouragement. My pleasure, John. Have a great rest of Advent and a Merry Christmas to you and everyone at Relevant, everyone listening, too. Thanks so much. Merry Christmas to you as well. Gary Zimmick, longtime Morning Air contributor, best-selling author of When Your Days Are Dark, God is Still Good. We need to take a short break. When we come back, John McGuire, chairman of uh, public relations for the state of Florida for Knights on Bikes, will be with us to talk about this inspiring Knights of Columbus ministry. Stay with us as Morning Air continues on this Friday here on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. He's a rootin', tootin' Santa Claus, riding reindeer through the sky. With his spurs a jingle jangling and his lasso swinging high. He's a rootin'. You gotta love it. I hope that uh, gets you in the Christmas spirit. Welcome back to Morning Air. I'm John Morales. Glenn is enjoying the day off. Producer Sarah is on the other side of the glass. Thanks so much for tuning in on this Friday morning here on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. I want to remind you, that in case you haven't heard, that a Relevant Radio fan favorite is back for Advent. The Merry Beggars presents Charles Dick. A Christmas Carol for the second year in a row to guide your Advent journey. True to the original text, this updated audio Advent calendar lets you jump straight into the action of this wholesome, intriguing, and delightful classic. Subscribe this morning to receive daily episodes for free at adventwithscrooge.com. It's still not too late. That's adventwithscrooge.com. As always, you can send us an email directly. It's morningair at relevantradio.com. You can find us on social media on X, formerly Twitter. Our handle is at Morning Air Show as well as on Facebook. Now, when you see a bunch of guys on Harleys, on motorcycles, riding down the interstate, the first thing that does not come to mind is Knights of Columbus. But guess what? There's a whole division of the Knights of Columbus called Knights on Bikes. Yes, for you movie fans, you're listening in the background uh, from uh, Easy Rider, uh, Born to be Wild, uh, from uh, that classic motorcycle film. Now, what are the Knights on Bikes and what exactly do they do? Listen up, you Harley riders. Uh, this is an outstanding ministry open to any brother knight in good standing who wants to participate in the mission of Nights on Bikes, which includes assisting the Catholic Church in various charities and promoting the spiritual needs of the church. And of course, one caveat, you got to have a motorcycle. <laughs> Joining us live this morning from Naples, Florida, uh, to share much more about Nights on Bikes is my longtime good friend, uh, the, the best man in my wedding, full disclosure, John McGuire, who serves as the chairman of public relations for the state of Florida for Nights on Bikes. Brother Johnny, uh, J-Mac, welcome to Morning Air and Relevant Radio. It's so good to be with you. Well, good morning, John. Thanks so much for having me. That's a great introduction. Many times I've sung that song with a karaoke on stage. I was laughing when you put that on. But yeah, yeah, we're a, uh, we're a unique group in that we are the guys who prefer to ride motorcycles to raise money and to help the poor needy as opposed to golfing, although some of us do golf. And essentially, we're, a, we're an organization that's very much a younger organization. We've been around for, well, you know, about 18, 19 years now. 
Um, we were started at one point down in Texas, and then uh, we've now migrated to all over the country. And in many cases, there are already existing councils and assemblies that have attached to them knights on bikes. So if you have an interest in the Knights of Columbus and you have a motorcycle and you're already a Knight of Columbus, by golly, why don't you look, take a look at Knights on Bikes and we're not only national, but we're also international. That is awesome. Uh, I want to invite uh, any brother knights uh, listening to us on Relevant Radio here uh, this morning. Uh, if uh, you are a member of Knights on Bikes um, and uh, want to uh, learn more, if you're not a member, if you're a, a Knight of Columbus and you'd like to learn more about this motorcycle ministry, uh, we're taking your calls for John McGuire of Knights on Bikes. Uh, our toll-free line is 888 if you want to get in, it's 888-914-9149. Johnny, uh, uh, tell me, uh, you guys have meetings uh, above and beyond the, the regular meetings that uh, Knights of Columbus councils have? Well, we do. And each council and assembly is really under the domain of a diocese. So throughout the country, you're going to have a diocese chairman. And in that diocese, we then have meetings. And uh, we average... Well, we have averaged in our Venice Diocese, where I live in Naples area, almost 40, I think it's 41 rides this year. And then we have meetings attached to that about, I would say about four times a year we have meetings. So in those meetings, we discuss our next plan of attack and where we're going to go. It could be a hurricane victim need. It could be raising money for the priests and training. It could be, you know, money that would go back to our council. And of course, we keep a little kitty for various independent things. For example, we had a roof that was in dire need of repair, and we donate some money there. And, oh, my goodness, we give a $5,000 check after the hurricane last year, Hurricane Ian, you might recall. And uh, and that was for someone who lost their home and business. And, oh, you know, when it, when it comes right down to it, there isn't anything we won't do. And, of course, we help the priests. We also raised some money last year for the Archbishop, uh, Archbishop Dennis Winsky is a very high... I was going to ask you about him because few people know yeah. that there there's an Archbishop, <laughs> the Archbishop of uh, of Miami, who is a, a lover of motorcycles and, and, and not only a member of uh, Knights on Bikes, but he's also uh, the international chaplain for Knights on Bikes. Yeah, that's right, John. Yeah, he's actually the... Well, he's the... Archbishop Thomas Winsky is the Archbishop of all of Miami. And, uh, and he's a very, very good fellow who really just loves to ride. And again, he's our national chaplain. And, and last year and every year we raised money for a particular need for a, a drug and alcohol clinic in Miami and, and, and quite a bit of money is donated. And the way we monetize it is that we'll ask people on the ride to pay a certain fee to go on the ride. And then we'll meet, we'll go to mass. Traditionally, we always go to mass and, uh, and then we go on the ride and then we have lunch. And, uh, and that's essentially the kind of the format of what we do. Yep. Johnny, uh, tell me, what kind of reaction uh, do you get uh, from folks uh, who uh, catch you guys uh, riding on your Harleys and all the different motorcycles, uh, you know, down the road, into towns, all gathered together? People have no idea that you're Knights of Columbus. Well, that's a great question. And I've been asked hundreds of times. I didn't know that the Knights of Columbus had a motorcycle club. And of course, the way I qualify that is that we're not a club. We are motorcyclists who are Knights of Columbus and we're a mobile team is the way I describe ourselves. So if there's an issue in Florida, we'll gather together with other dioceses 
and we'll put together a ride and we'll go to that situation of need. And, or maybe not, it is, maybe it isn't a situation of need. We'll, we'll just get together and ride throughout that area and then, you know, have lunch and the like. And we are also the transporters of the Silver Rose. And the Silver Rose, you may know, and some people probably do, who are Knights of Columbus already, is, is really a beautiful story because it represents life. And it was really born of Our Lady of Guadalupe in Monterey, Mexico, in that in 1960, the Columbian Squares and the youth organization of the Knights of Columbus wanted to give something back to our Blessed Mother. And the group at that time, the young men of the Council of 2312 in Monterey, Mexico, came up with the idea of running a rose to the Basilica of Our Lady of Guadalupe in Monterey, Mexico. But at that time, the rose was chosen as a living rose. And eventually, they wanted to commemorate it as a silver rose, originally a gold rose and a silver rose. So several of these roses transport throughout the country, and then we're the transporters, and, and many times the schedulers to organize it properly to get it to and from the situation of need. And then we, of course, have, you know, some cases, Eucharistic adoration around the rose. And, of course, we also, uh, you know, put the rose in center for security reasons to make sure that there's no issues where somebody might steal it because it is a solid stainless, uh, not stainless, but a solid silver rose. And, uh, and so we, we take good care of it. But it emanates out of Hidalgo, Mexico, and, and it's, uh, that's where the origin is. And the rose travels, and there are about seven of them that travel between Mexico, Canada, and the United States. But we schedule it from state to state. So we're the transporters of the rose, which is very, very interesting for, for historical reasons because it's really been our domain of control and measure to make sure the security is there. It's a it's a beautiful ministry. Uh, what you guys do, uh, uh, Johnny, um, obviously being part of, of the greater Knights of Columbus that does so much uh, for the Catholic Church, but uh, the the Knights on Bikes in particular, it also uh, helps uh, guys grow in their faith. I know you have friends that have literally come back uh, to the sacraments, come back to Mass, uh, as well as being a member of, of Knights on Bikes. Well, that's so true, John. And in fact, I can tell you a great story about a guy I met in the gas station several years ago. And, uh, and he was admiring my bike, which is a you know older classic motorcycle. It's actually a 1996 bad boy, which is kind of a cool bike. And he was admiring it. And we started talking. And before you know it, he said, man, I got to get a bike again. I've had a bike before. As long as it develops over time, he not only came back to the faith, but I can attribute a couple of very unique what we'll call miraculous actions that have occurred resulting to his becoming a Knight of Columbus. And, uh, and, and therefore, you know, I, I don't want to get into all the details. We probably don't have time today, but it's a great story because there are many, many men that I've met in that situation where I'll introduce them if they're motorcyclists to the Knights of Columbus. And a lot of people don't realize that the Knights of Columbus in the past 10 years on average have given a billion dollars a year to the needs of the poor and those who really need it for, you know, priest-like training and, and the whole of, you know, a myriad of plethora of different things. Not to mention the ultrasound initiative where they've given, you know, a, a ton of money to pregnancy centers all across the country. So the Knights do just incredible work. Well, we just did a pregnancy ride and raised money for diapers and all kinds of other needs that the young women need who can't take care of their, their needs, you know, without a little help. And so, yeah, yeah, that's part of our, part of our ministry. And 
you know, if somebody is interested and they don't know of a Knights on Bikes council in their assembly, if they're the Knight of, Knight of Columbus, they can become a council captain and start their own, okay? And that's not hard to do. In fact, there are people out there that will give you a hand in doing so, okay? And we'll be happy to help. In fact, we have a website here in Florida, which is KOB, as in Knights and Bikes, FLA.com. If you go to KOBFLA.com, you'll be happy to see that there's plenty of information and contact outreach where you can get ideas about how to do this. Because like you said, I mean, people look at us and they're like, who are you guys? You know, we're walking billboard. We've got a, you know, 15, 20 inch, 15, 20 inch uh, symbol on our back. Well, it's it's a it's a wonderful ministry. Uh, I love uh, the the vest look with all the patches. It's very uh, distinct, and uh, you know uh, any ministry that can have an archbishop of a diocese uh, riding on a motorcycle is is a really good thing. Johnny uh, McGuire, my good buddy J- Johnny Mac, thank you so much for for being on Morning Air here with with us this morning and uh, and sharing uh, the story of knights on bikes. Well, thank you, John, and God bless you guys out there, and come to us, go to the website, see if you have an interest, and then maybe you start your own council if it doesn't currently exist. Thank you, John. Thanks so much, uh, Johnny. Uh, uh, Many blessings the rest of Advent, and uh, Merry Christmas to you and your family. God's blessings back to you and yours and everybody else out there, all right? John McGuire, the the chairman of public relations for the state of Florida for Nights on Bikes. We need to take a short pause when morning air continues. Uh, Bishop Muggenberg will take a look at this Sunday's gospel for Gaudete Sunday and give us his weekly reflection with our very own Glenn Leverance. So stay with us. There's uh, more to come on uh, this Friday edition of Morning Air here on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. Drinking too much eggnog And we begged her not to go Welcome back to Morning Air on another Friday dedicated to the Sacred Heart of Jesus. I'm John Morales. It's good to be with you. And now it's time to look ahead to this Sunday's Gospel. Always keep in mind that the Word of God in the Gospels, the good news of our Lord Jesus Christ, is powerful. When the Gospel, the Book Eternal, is proclaimed, Christ is passing by. Jesus is speaking to you. So listen carefully, folks, as Bishop Daniel Muggenberg, Bishop of Reno, Nevada, shares his weekly reflection on this Sunday's Gospel with our very own Glenn Leverance. A Gospel reading for this third Sunday in Advent comes from John chapter 1, verses 6 through 8 and 19 through 28. A man named John was sent from God. He came for testimony to testify to the light so that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to testify to the light. And this is the testimony of John. When the Jews from Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to him to ask him, Who are you? 
He admitted, and did not deny it, but admitted, I am not the Christ. So when they asked him, What are you then? Are you Elijah? And he said, I am not. Are you the prophet? He answered, No. So they said to him, Who are you? So that we can give an answer to those who sent us. What do you have to say for yourself? He said, I am the voice of one crying out in the desert. Make straight the way of the Lord, as Isaiah the prophet said. Some Pharisees were also sent. They asked him, Why then do you baptize, if you are not the Christ or Elijah or the prophet? John answered them, I baptize with water, but there is one among you whom you do not recognize, the one who is coming after me, whose sandal strap I am not worthy to untie. This happened in Bethany, across the Jordan, where John was baptizing. Let's take a deeper look at that reading for the third Sunday in Advent. The Gospel comes from John 1, verses 6 through 8 and 11 through 28. Joining us once again is Bishop Daniel Muggenberg from the Diocese of Reno, Nevada. Bishop Muggenberg, always great to have you along. And great to be here, Glenn. Well, we learn about John the Baptist today. What an interesting character. In addition to his wardrobe and his uh, food choices, uh, we also find out that uh, he, he speaks a lot about you know who he is and who we are. That's true. And John's primary ministry, or John the Baptist's primary ministry in the Gospel of John, is that of a witness um, and someone who's giving testimony to Jesus. And there's a lot of legal terms that are used in John's Gospel. And in a real sense, you know, John is kind of telling us that as Christians, we are on trial, and the world is on trial in terms of our response to Jesus. And one of the ways that John gives his testimony to Jesus is by first and foremost Uh, letting go of any false sense of self that he himself has. Um, And so when the crowds come to him and they say, you know, who are you? That's a really important question for all of us to answer. But how we answer it is also important. Based on his story, we wonder if they might have asked, who are you? Uh, you As opposed to, who are you? But he starts out by pointing out the difference, that he is not the Christ. That's right. You know, and it would have been so easy for John to have focused the people's attention and admiration and curiosity on himself, you know, and if John were a person needing that kind of affirmation or needing that kind of attention for his self-identity or his self-image, then he may have given in to those temptations. But uh, John is really given to us as an example of someone who's very free and who doesn't need to have self-deceptions in order to, you know, have a proper and healthy self-identity. And so John very freely dismisses any false identities that people might have, whether they think he's the Christ or they think that he's the prophet or whatever great figure people may um, think that John is. John begins by letting go of those false selves. And in that, John is teaching us something that we need to do also. We need to recognize when we are believing uh, in a false self, whether it comes through, you know, social media images uh, that that we're chasing after, or whether it comes through uh, maybe, you know, the way others have treated us throughout life or, or whatever it is, it's very easy for us to believe in a false self. And John's telling us that we really can't answer that question honestly, who are we, until we first recognize and dismiss who we are not. Mm. Gee, do you suppose that the Spirit looked 2,000 years ahead and thought we'd need to hear about a false self through social media today, huh? 
Well, social media, also advertising. You know, um, a lot of marketing is based on the fact that it tries to convince people that they are broken, wounded, and defective. And if you buy something, then you will be happy, active and you know desirable and perfect and and that's just false but we believe that we begin to believe that we're a commodity we begin to believe that you know life is finds its fulfillment in the pursuit of pleasure and everything else and all of those are lies that end up leaving us alienated from ourselves and and really discontent at the end of the day well, just another great lesson from John in humility. Again, we kind of started out talking a little about uh, known for what he was wearing and what he was eating, very humble for even that day and age, but, uh, you know, really willing to let himself decrease so Christ could increase. Yeah, and that's what John does next. In order for John to really answer that question, who are you? Um, and after dismissing the false perceptions, John then makes a very clear proclamation of who Jesus is. And John is acknowledging Jesus as Lord, as the incarnate presence of God. Jesus is the light who has come into the world. You know, Jesus is the word um, that is being spoken by the Father. And so when John is acknowledging who Jesus is, John is really affirming uh, the reality, the superiority, uh, the presence of Jesus, um, not only in the world, but to him personally. And so that affirmation of who Jesus is and making the profession of faith that is clear um, is key to our identity as well. You know, John, uh, Jesus was more than just a teacher for John, and Jesus was more than just um, Jesus was more than a, he- a miracle worker. Jesus was the very eternal word that became flesh, and John is bearing witness to that in him. It seems in part like John and Jesus later on are, are wondering, who do people say that I am, and, and what are they saying about John? And John, they're like hearing about one another in the real world, but yet obviously they they knew, at least for John's part, part of the plan of of what was to come. They're not that far apart in age. Did John kind of get a head start doing ministry as far as we know? Well, that's a good question. John is definitely presented as the precursor, as the one who is preparing the way of the Lord, to use that language from the prophet Isaiah. And so John is carrying out a ministry of preparation for Jesus, and he does that through his preaching of repentance uh, in the Judean desert, and also through his ritual of baptism, which was really for the forgiveness of sins, uh, preparing a new people, you know, worthy, worthy of God's grace. Um, but John's ultimate preparation for people to meet Jesus, a personal encounter. And, and again, John is witnessing to us um, how we prepare for that personal encounter through his own preparation. And this passage is, is kind of doing that in, in an additional way by then, or by, I should say, by, by having John identify himself always in relationship to Jesus. And and that's an important element of it, that we don't self-identify ourselves apart from Jesus, but we identify ourselves always in relationship with Jesus. Our true identity is always found in that. That speaks to us in our contemporary culture because we tend to be a very self-identifying culture where we recreate our own selves um, as an act of autonomy. It would have been very foreign to certainly Christians of the first world who saw themselves as created by God and received the gift of their lives, not only as a gift itself, 
but especially in relationship with Jesus. When we think about the lessons that can be taken from here in terms of our witness today, to not get caught up in that false self that doesn't provide a good witness, and then maybe try to contrast and compare a little bit about us and the Lord as opposed to, oh, I do this, I do that, I live here, I have this, I have that. Yeah, and when John contrasts himself with the Lord, he very clearly says, he's the one who's coming after me, whose sandal strap I am not worthy to untie. Now, that very phrase is uh, not just a statement of humility. um, It's a statement of radical difference. You know, John baptizes with water. Jesus will baptize with the Holy Spirit and with fire. But when John talks about he's not worthy to unfasten his sandal strap, John is really um, speaking about the lowest household slave in the ancient world. There was a hierarchy to household slaves, and the slave that occupied the lowest position is the slave that cared for feet. And John is saying, when it comes to the Lord, I am not even worthy to be the lowest servant in his kingdom. And that reminds all of us that it's purely by the grace of God that we are called to divine friendship with Jesus, that we are called to life in God and Christ. And in this Advent season, I think that that reminds us to give God thanks for the tremendous opportunities and generous invitations that he issues to us every day. And as we come around, uh, not Advent, but Lent, we learn that Jesus himself willing to untie the sandals of all of his disciples. And that is one of the profound lessons of Holy Thursday's liturgy, is that Jesus actually assumes the most humble um, role of a servant for us. And then he asks us to do likewise for one another. And that's where that, that demonstration of our Lord really receives its great power from. Well, thank you, Bishop Muggenberg. If you'd be so good as to wrap us up with your blessing this week. The Lord be with you. And may the blessing of Almighty God inspire us by the example of John the Baptist so that we, too, may find and embrace our true identities in relationship and discipleship with Jesus. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. And thank you, Bishop Muggenberg. And now it's time for another episode of Glenn Story Corner. Our story today is called, Who Started This Christmas Stuff? A woman was out Christmas shopping with her two small children. After many hours of looking at row after row of toys and everything else imaginable, and after hours of hearing both children asking for everything they saw on those many shelves, they finally made it to the elevator with the kids in tow and her arms loaded with her purchases. She was feeling what so many feel during the holiday season. She was overwhelmed with the pressures to go to every party, every housewarming, Taste all of the holiday foods and treats. Get that perfect gift for every single person on her shopping list. She had to make sure she didn't forget anyone on her card lists. And the pressure of being sure she responded to everyone who sent her a card was almost more than she could bear. Finally, the elevator door was opened. There was already a crowd in the elevator, but she pushed her way into the car, dragging her two kids and all the bags of stuff in with her. When the doors closed, she couldn't take it anymore and stated, whoever started this whole Christmas thing should be found, strung up, and shot. From the back of the car, everyone heard a quiet, calm voice respond, Don't worry, we already crucified him. For the rest of the trip down, the elevator was so quiet you could have heard a pin drop. 
Don't forget this year to keep the one who started this whole Christmas thing in your every thought, deed, purchase, and word. If we all did it, just think of how different this whole world would be. John 10.10, I came that they might have life and might have it abundantly. What a great, great reminder and uh, another fabulous story corner uh, by Glenn, who is enjoying the date off, but he did leave us uh, with uh, his story corner for uh, today. Now, coming up next hour here on Morning Air, Kara Burke, a mother of five, the founder of Rory's Way, will share her experience with Trisomy 18 and tell us about the case of Kate Cox in Texas and her preborn child diagnosed also with Trisomy 18. Plus, Curtis Martin, the founder of Focus, the Fellowship of Catholic University Students. He'll be with us to talk about the 25th anniversary of Focus and also we'll chat about the upcoming Seek 24 conference in St. Louis. So stay with us. There is much more to come. We are just warming up. Up. Uh, lots uh, coming straight uh, at you in hour number two of Morning Air on this Friday edition here on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. <laughs> 